0: There we are. There we are, Anthony Smith. Welcome to Freightonomics, the remote edition part two, uh, where we discuss the combination of the macroeconomic environment, combine it with the transportation sector. Anthony Smith, lead economist over there in his kitchen. Uh, Zach Strickland here in my bonus room uh, with headphones this week. So I'm headphones zacked up. This week, Anthony, because I thought it made me look more like an official podcaster. And you've got like I an have official headphones
1: mic. here, but I don't use them. And I don't, I'm not sure if my mic's actually connected. So I'm going to need some tutorials. But this <laughs> is my kitchen, but it's a studio. So it's also kind of like off of my living room and bedroom at the same time. It's, it's efficient. What more would you expect from me kind of in this, but efficiency? Exactly.
0: I like that. That's where we agree. We totally agree on efficiency. <laughs> so it's a big day today. Uh, we had, uh, the inauguration um, that went smoothly, uh, thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's you know a lot of activity surrounding that. We'll dive into that here in the stories of the day here in a minute. But uh, we're going to have Doctor Zach Rogers on uh, this week to kind of give us an update on that LMI action, as well as talk about the ongoing problem with all these bottlenecks. Uh, I think yeah. I think the story of the story of 2021 is going to be how do we recover from 2020? <laughs> and a lot of situations uh, that started in 2020 still have yet to be resolved. Uh, you know, and again, the president, the newly inaugurated president is gonna have a lot to do with that in the long run, maybe not so much in the near term. If you paid attention to our show uh, with Will Sested talking about regulations back in December, uh, most of the impacts of a, pred- a presidency don't really start uh, until later in the year uh, When once they're inaugurated and in, in office for a little while. To give them a little bit of time, uh, there's a freeze period put on a lot of their actions uh, for the first few days, uh, but doesn't mean that they're totally ineffective. Uh, they just have to, it just takes a little while to get through the bureaucratic processes. Um, that being said, Anthony Smith, are you watching LinkedIn today?
1: I am. I have LinkedIn pulled up here and we already have James Fry saying, good afternoon, gentlemen. Special shout out to James Fry. We are, have Laura Graves in here. Hello. So, yeah, I'm watching LinkedIn, uh, monitoring it throughout the show. So, if you want to jump in on the conversation, I have any questions for Zach, myself, or Dr. Rogers, who will be joining us shortly, let us know.
0: Absolutely. So, let's dive right into some of these stories of the day. Of course, the biggest story of the day is the inauguration of the president. Uh, and an article that I've targeted here on freightways.com, uh, written by the illustrious John Gallagher, is can Joe Biden get infrastructure done in 2021? I think I already answered that uh, a little bit by saying probably not, Uh, but that doesn't mean that in the long run, he will not make some headway into uh, getting some of the consistent infrastructure, you know, backlog of projects uh, funded and underway. Uh, Something that we, you know, you know, I I don't really want to get political about any of this, obviously, but one of the things I do believe the government has a, a responsibility for is providing adequate infrastructure. That's your roads, uh, your, elect, you know, utility structures, things like that, that really make a society function efficiently and effectively. It uh, doesn't mean that they need to get involved with a lot of regulations or anything like that, but it does mean uh, that they do need to provide adequate funding to keep these things operational. I mean, over time, things degrade. Our roads obviously need consistent maintenance. The uh, electric electricity, water, um, airports, and of course, some of our intercoastal waterways and things like that in our ports uh, need a little bit of help from time to time. And there is a massive. Uh, I encourage everyone that you know is not necessarily familiar with infrastructure and, you know, what kind of projects this is to check out this article on freightwaves.com. But one of the most interesting aspects of this whole thing, you know, if you don't want to read, go down to a chart. Charts are always great (laughs) to, uh, you know, really summarize what's going on uh, with with what the article is trying to say. And service transportation needs, Anthony Smith, Uh, how much do you think, how much money do you think that they need uh to fund to get our infrastructure back up to just basic standards
1: <laughs> to get them back up to basic standards uh just I guess somewhere in the trillions for sure yeah yeah
0: 2.5 <laughs> to be honest yeah. uh so we have half of that funded at 1.3 mm-hmm. um so it is a significant uh a significant you know just half of it is being funded right now uh and that's not that's just to get it up to par, not to get it, you know, into the future and ready to go. So there, there's significant amount of spending and funding that needs to go on there to get things back going. And that obviously has a huge impact on transportation and uh, and things like that.
1: It does. And, and the, the sad thing, a lot of the times when it comes to infrastructure, it's not that entertaining for people to hear. A lot of times you hear about infrastructure, people are like, Oh, this is boring. I don't, I don't care, but it makes a big difference. And, If you see tax dollars going towards infrastructure, a lot of times people aren't that thrilled about it. Um, But it's one of those things that you just need, and it helps with efficiencies. And this is one of the things we we have our monthly sonar podcast that we go over a lot of the macro trends and and transportation trends. And this is one of the areas that I was a little bit more optimistic about when we look at non-residential construction through the latter half of the year. when We're looking at um, infrastructure spending and construction costs highway roads, things like that, just because we're not going to see a lot of construction activity for offices, things like that. Uh, Not a lot coming from recreational construction, for sure. But there's likely going to be some opportunities for state and local construction jobs and uh, infrastructure, things like that. Um, But that's all going to be really, really, I think, uh, like you said, it's going to take some time. It's not going to be immediate. But it's going to be a potential area of opportunity as we get to the middle half of 2021 to the latter half of the year.
0: Yeah, and uh, I, I need to make a correction. It's 2.5 billion, not trillion, uh, from what the article states. I, I misread that. So, right. yeah, I mean that's that's better. <laughs> so, um, you know, that being said, uh, you know, there is there's still a long way to go with that and how that's working. But we did have. Uh, a few earnings reports come out as well, Anthony, and I didn't put this in the notes, but I think we're going to talk about this more in the in a later episode after we get a few more in. But I think it is interesting to make a point that some of these carriers, uh, JB Hunt, Heartland, have now come out with some earnings, and there's a little bit of mixed signals in there right now. It's not just like they blew apart everything, and we'll break those down probably in a future show. But I think this earnings season is definitely going to be interesting because a lot of people think, and including myself, that if you were an asset-based truckload carrier, you should have had a pretty solid uh, fourth quarter. <laughs> and Heartland actually pulled back revenue while increasing operational uh, margin. So they were able to operate more efficiently with less money. So that that to me is a little interesting. I'm going to do some a little bit deeper dive into that uh, because the fourth quarter, massive uh, for uh, for a lot of carriers and a lot of shippers out there. And speaking of that fourth quarter, the next story of the day that I think was the most interesting was the one written by none other than Andrew Cox. Uh, You know, not necessarily a, you know, a formal contributor to FreightWaves.com in terms of article generation and things like that. He's not necessarily a journalist in that regard, but neither am I. Uh, And I tend to, I'll, I'll throw up a posting every week as I do with the chart of the week, but he breaks down the retail segment. In, uh, in the fourth quarter. And he says, despite losing momentum late, holiday sales surprised to the upside. Uh, so, you know, just to summarize this article and what he's talking about, the, he does he is spearheading this new, uh, you know, product offering from FreightWaves Waves uh, called Point of Sale. Uh, and, and it involves all sorts of, you know, subscriptions and newsletters. Uh, he's starting up a podcast uh, to really target sectors more specifically. And uh, this is one of those, you know, This is a a sample offering, if you will. And it uh, basically outlines how the holiday spending actually kind of came back off of November's levels, but it was still a record December overall. And I I think that's a very solid way that he positioned that. It's not necessarily, oh, retail sales, you know, contracted in December. Yeah, they contracted off of a record November and there's still a record level of December activity going on. And this is one of those things that's going to consistently, Let's. it's going to fuel what we have left to go in this first half of uh, 2021 in terms of overall uh, restocking events
1: and freight movements. That's right. And this is another one of those topics that we touched on. I think, geez, I mean, that report came out last Thursday, I believe for retail sales. And so definitely was a brief talking point for me on the midday market update and glad to see Andrew go into more depth on this. And I think we went onto it again on that monthly uh, webinar we did yesterday. But yeah, we saw a decline for retail sales. I think it was down 0.7% from November to December. Um, We've been talking through Freightonomics about some deceleration within retail sales. So not too too much of a surprise that we saw this this number come out. I think the biggest surprise was coming from that uh, non-store retail subsector, which has been a strong segment throughout much of 2020. We saw that come down 5.8 percentage points. But again, it was still up 24.3% on a year-over-year basis. So we are definitely seeing some slowing, some easing on a month-to-month basis. But on a year-over-year basis, still extremely robust, um, still still near record levels at any measure uh, for a lot of different segments when we're looking across the board at different breakouts. So um, still a lot of growth, like you said, a lot of activity still going on. But there is some deceleration there, but there are a couple bright spots potentially throughout 2021 that is slowly building momentum. All this is somewhat losing steam on a month-to-month basis from record highs.
0: Yeah, and he—I uh I think him and Seth actually addressed some of the, you know, the momentum that, that's going to carry into this the first half of the year on Container uh on their Great Quarter Guy podcast <laughs> yesterday too. So it was—I loved—I love the title of the uh, of the yeah. podcast. I haven't listened to it yet, but. Uh, Container McGuiddon, quite aptly named uh, for this time of year, uh, especially right before Chinese New Year. So, you know, I think this is a good point to uh, start segueing into our guest, Dr. Zach Rogers, Uh, you know, the illustrious Zach Rogers from Colorado State, big contributor to the LMI. Uh, You know, he's he's been he's been growing his hair out, uh, making sure (laughs) that he gets his best quarantine life going. Uh, but here he is back
2: again. Uh, Dr. Zach Rogers, welcome to the show. Uh, it's good to you see been? you guys. It's, it's yeah. the only way I can keep track of how long the quarantine's been going is how much, the worse I look, the longer it's been, essentially, is <laughs> metric I use. Also, it's nice to talk to you guys. From, I've been calling you guys from my home office this whole time. So I finally feel like we're on equal footing here. I'm a little less self-conscious about like having stuff behind me
1: <laughs> now that everybody right. does. Yeah, I got an entire stove. Yeah, no, no, because.
0: it looks bad. <laughs> Whatever you're doing. <laughs> so, uh, so Wait, Dr. Rogers, is- so we we've, so we've got, um, you know, the LMI came out in December. We saw a little bit of this. I, I don't want to call it easing. I think everybody starts to think, oh, you know, you mentioned one sign of a slowdown, and everybody's like, it's over, it's over. And and uh, that's that's just not accurate. We're still extremely uh, tight on the transportation capacity side. Warehousing capacity still difficult to come by. Um, but some of these numbers eased a little bit
2: in the in December, correct? A little bit. Yeah. And again, I, I would remind everybody, it's all rates of growth. So anything, any number that we can, that we get above 50 means growth, any number below means contraction. And the, the further below or above, the greater the growth or contraction is. So the LMI was still uh, a, a 66.7 in December. So that's, still a very solid rate of growth, well above the average uh, of the four years we've been doing this, but a little bit below. Uh, it had been in the 70s for the three months before that. So the rate of growth is still is uh, down a little bit, but it's still growing. You know, If we were kind of going like this, now we're just going a little bit like this, but it's still going up. And a lot of that, though, I think I should point out, is driven by a decrease in inventory levels, which we always see a decrease in inventory levels in December because that's when a lot of retail sales happen. Now, I will point out, inventory still went up slightly. I mean, very mildly. It was a 56 uh, in December. But if you compare that to December 2019, it was only a 42 then, okay? So, so we had inventory levels actually went down uh, last December. And remember, kind of there was a slowdown with the industri- uh, you know, industrial sector and everything. But this year, we're at a 56, 57. And so, yes, we're slowing down, but we're not slowing down the same way we normally would. And I think that's a lot because of, and it relates to Container Magellan, which I also like (laughs) a lot. We have all this backlogged inventory coming in, right? So all these, I mean, there was 20 ships sitting outside the port of LA last month, just waiting every day, basically, to get in. And so we have this sort of backlog uh, of inventory that's slowly trickling in. And it's going to take us a while to catch up. Exactly. And so
0: I was talking with uh, Greg Miller this morning and Henry Byers. They're both... very much maritime experts. And we've seen some kind of this early warning signal in some of our data uh, about bookings and bookings behavior. Uh, And it's very difficult to get a a clear picture of what's happening here, but it's starting to show signs that the book, like shippers are not booking as much freight coming into the country. Uh, Now, Chinese New Year timing and things like that make it hard to see year over year trends and stuff like that around this period. But do you think that some of this may be simple frustration on the shippers end because they are so backlogged? Uh, they can't get, an, you know, the freight coming into the the country in a timely manner that that 14 to 21 day lead time is now like six
2: weeks. <laughs> I think so. I think it's, you know, uh, around here in Colorado, uh, if you're going to go skiing on the weekend, you either got to go at 6 a.m. or wait until like one o'clock, because if you go at nine or 10, you're going to wait in line on the highway. Uh, for three hours before you get to the mountain. And I think that's what's happening here. There's kind of no point in booking it. Plus you consider the the price piece of it. Last month, I mean, container prices are up like 174% or something year over year, like some crazy number like that. And so if it's something that we can get in later and it's going to take forever to get there anyway and we're going to get it cheaper, I I do think that's part of what we're seeing. I, I don't necessarily know... Uh, that it's a slowdown for anything other than just you know I mean if price is up 170 percent demand is going to go down I mean I I I think that makes right. sense
0: <laughs> yeah and the fact that they can't get a container anyway uh, because right. their c- container shortages all over the place um, yeah. yeah I mean I think the headline so, should
2: be like companies decide not to pay more for worse service like oh okay yeah,
0: <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> makes too much sense right. yeah so uh, you know some of the slowdown obviously. It may be cannibalizing itself a little bit in terms of, you know, I think I even mentioned it in my article this week about how the level of, you know, transportation pricing being where it is and the low availability of service, it just can't sustain at this level. Uh, Otherwise, you know, companies will run out of cash and the ability to invest. So there has to be some sort of like correction period where we go through and
2: normalize the flow of goods, right? I think that makes sense. I mean, there's some goods that I don't know that we can slow down the flow. Uh, And those companies might be in a tough spot. You know, if we look at uh, transportation prices in the LMI, just over, and and especially price and capacity together uh, over the course of 2020. So in January 2020, we have transportation price at 50. So meaning no movement and things were kind of dead. Remember, there was a lot of uh, 3PLs and fleets that were being shut down or reduced or, or whatever was happening. Capacity was at 57. So we actually had more capacity coming online, and that was partly because demand was low. So January 2020, capacity seven points higher than price on our our matrix. Let's go forward to December. Transportation capacity is at 39, which is pretty steep levels of contraction, meaning that it's, it's harder and harder to find a truck. And prices are in 85. Okay, so we've gone from capacity being seven points higher. Let me get in my camera capacity being (laughs) 7.5 in transportation to like a 45 point swing in the other direction. Okay. And so prices are up so high and it's because, you know, take e-commerce, it was supposed to go up 15% went up 45%. So we had three years of growth, three to five years of growth probably in 10 months. And so the infrastructure is just not there. I mean, you guys are talking about the infrastructure of roads and things like that. We also have a huge deficit in the infrastructure of trucks, warehouses and just basic distribution capital. And I mean, we went forward three years and less than a year, and it's going to take us time to catch up. When we ask respondents about, hey, okay, in the future, what do you see happening? It's interesting. They predict more transportation capacity coming online in the next year. It's, it's a 62, I think for you know the next 12 months. So some capacity right. coming online, but warehouses are a 50. Like basically it's like, we're going to keep building warehouses and it's going to keep not making a difference because we're so (laughs) short on all the storage we need. And so they expect prices to remain high. Uh, I think the predictions were like an 81 for warehousing prices and a 79 for transportation prices over the next year. So they're not expecting a lot of relief and it's because of the lack of the capital to make it happen. Capital, uh, capital, like equipment, not capital, capital.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Right. So that talks to some of the comps that we're seeing right now on LinkedIn. We have James Fry saying, do you see it slowing down even more or are we going to have another spike? And so from those comps, it sounds like we are expecting some considerable uh, tightened capacity, even though there might be some, quote unquote, easing throughout. You know, I think
2: so, too. I, I think we're going to bring on fleets as quickly as we can, but it's going to be hard to keep up, especially now, you know, the uh the new administration and the new Congress, which is also happening today, um, the stimulus is going to be significantly greater. Last time when I was here in December, we were like, "Well, we don't know, you know, And, and it looks like now, because of the way the elections went, instead of everyone gets 600 bucks, they get 2,000 maybe. And there's going to be a big investment that they're going to talk about, probably at the State of the Union next month in infrastructure. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the consumer uh, stay strong a little bit. You know, um, Zach, I think you actually wrote the article, because uh, I am a regular Freight Waves uh, reader, <laughs> uh, about, you know, the consumer drove a lot of the tightness last year. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. I think we're going to continue to see some of that happening. Um, so so I, I wouldn't be surprised, Anthony, to answer your question, if we do see demand stay relatively high. And, you know, I think companies think that too. We lost 140,000 jobs in December, but we gained 53,000 in supply chain and logistics. So, I mean, clearly companies are building up And December is not usually a time where you actually see a lot, you know, most of the people come out in November. So we saw these logistics companies bulking up the time when everybody else is going down. I think we're going to see the demand for especially home delivery, transportation, all this stuff. I think it's going to stay high for a while.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 talking to that point with additional stimulus coming in, uh, that $2,000, that's going to definitely be something a little bit more substantial. I think we saw a small blip for those that received a smaller stimulus. So only can imagine that that additional stimulus will impact some consumer spending trends. I think the other big thing is the continuation of certain programs. And I don't think that gets a lot of attention, but we see uh, continued claims for those unemployed individuals um, getting put back in place or renewed or extended. And we were talking about the potential of a lot of people going um being forced out of their homes, but the, a lot of those protection programs being extended, I think are going to be a, also a lot of things that take a lot of pressure off of a lot of consumers that have really kind of been split off from those that have been able to retain employment.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I saw they're going to extend uh, uh, the, the protections like uh, you know, on, on student loans too. So we're not going to have to pay student loans, I think until September, which, you know, I went to 22 years of school. So that sounds great to me. I, I'd, I'd like to, <laughs> to wait for a little bit. Yeah, I, right. I, so
0: I want to pose a question to uh, to both of you uh, here. So, you know, yeah, we're excited about these stimulus packages and, you know, more government spending. I think that's that's traditional with the, the Democratic, uh, you know, wing of things. Does this have any cost in the long run, though, that you maybe see that, you know, might be a trade off somewhere? Because I think we all have been in that economic class where they basically say you can't just print money <laughs> and expect it to always be there right
2: yeah so there's a couple of things i mean obviously there will be some regulations tied into some of this that i think some people might not love like i know the the insurance on like trucks will probably increase a little bit like the requirements um but in terms of 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 printing money right so the argument is is interest versus inflation i i guess um right now the interest rate essentially is negative you know if you, if you're taking a 10 year loan and the interest rate's 0.25% right now that works out to the interest rate really being like minus 1%. So if we if we were ever going to do it, if we're ever going to make that, remember during the recession, like, oh, we should just make a $1 trillion coin or whatever. If we're ever going to do that, it should be now because the interest is essentially nothing.
1: And the other thing is uh, when we have these stimulus packages that get put out, a lot of it's getting put back into the economy. There's velocity there, although um, may not be the type of spinning that we would want to see in the kind of environment that we want to be in but we are still seeing that consumer trends really kind of having that activity. I think it would be a lot different if we were still printing off a lot of that money and it was just sitting in a lot of people's pockets, which some are, and I think that's a wise decision for sure. Um, Maintain as much cash as possible, especially during times of uncertainty, but we are still seeing a lot of consumer spending. And I think it's good for those that are still able to retain their employment. I think definitely we always talk about the tail to consumers. So those that, that have been able to retain employment spending, working remotely, and really kind of providing that upward momentum for this e-commerce boom. But um, those that are maybe a little bit more on a week-to-week, month-to-month plan, it's going to be a little bit more touch and go with their spending habits, although it does seem like they are spending as well.
2: Well, it's it's that K-shaped recovery. Anybody on the bottom part of the K, they're going to spend money if they have money, right? The people who haven't been affected, I mean, if you give money to someone who's a millionaire, they'll put it in their bank account. If you give someone, you know, someone making fifty thousand dollars or unemployed, they're going to spend it on something, and so you know that goes directly. It's like you're saying, it's going to go directly in and, and stimulate a little bit, which I think is why transportation prices will stay high <laughs> to bring it all back, uh, <laughs> because uh, you know people aren't going to stop getting stuff delivered to their houses. I don't think.
0: No, I think I think that's a large part of what we're going to see here in the next year. Is you know we're we're in the COVID world for at least another three to four months, it looks like. Uh, you know, it's the case count is extremely high um, and the vaccine is going to take time to get through that. So, uh, you know, my question is really, is this durable goods demand going to persist at the same pace that it did last year? Because, I mean, you you have this transition period and everybody goes into their house and they start looking around. All of a sudden, I'm tired of doing home improvement projects. Does this, does this have
2: like a, a lack? A tail to it. Yeah, you know, I've been—I I was tired of doing home improvement projects before <laughs> COVID. Actually, so good for you. Um, no, I—I I, I think that it can't keep going at the same rate. So you know, we went up like take e-commerce went up forty percent last year. It can't go up forty percent again. I mean, it physically cannot. There's no way we could do it unless there's a secret fleet of drones somewhere that we don't know about. It, it can't go up like that. So I think we'll go back maybe to our normal rate of growth. 10 to 15% possibly, but we're not going to lose that jump that we did last time, right? Like we did a big jump and now we're going to keep going up. I don't know if you guys remember stepwise from like, you know, trigonometry or whatever, but that's kind of what happened. So we went way up last year and then it's going to slowly keep going up. I think this year, but I I don't see it. I I don't see it going back down at the same time. I don't see us jumping up another 40% because I don't know that that would be tenable.
0: Yeah. So I have one more question for you before we have to wrap things up. But, you know, there is a measure in the LMI uh, that has we haven't really discussed it very much, but it's probably one of the more interesting points. And that's the inventory costs uh, aspect of it. And it shot up in November, October, November last year. At what point does it become, you know, that it's it's just not it doesn't make financial sense to keep inventory because the costs are so high? Does that have an impact in some of this downstream effect of transportation?
2: You know, it, it hasn't yet. Uh, so it's right now it's a uh, 72. It was 73 uh, in November and October, which is well above the uh, the average of, I think, 60 uh, is the average for that one. Um, so, you know, I, I think right now a lot of it is, well, I can either pay a lot to hold on to inventory or I can have a lot of stockouts. And th- those are my two options, basically. And so I think companies are choosing to pay.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And Zach, thanks so much. Dr. Rogers, I should say, thanks so much for joining us. I think we're getting the cue from our team that we're about to wrap up. So um, yeah. real quick, where can people find more about the LMI?
2: Uh, The-LMI.com. Uh, we post our reports every month. It's always the the first Tuesday of every month. They come they come out, and you can see our first reports up there as well, going uh go, going all the way back four and a half uh, years. And I would just say to to wrap this up, I'm glad that you guys are working from home. It does make me feel more like we're on the same footing. All I need now is uh, one of the sweet blue Freight Wave zip ups. Craig Fuller, get yes. at me. Let me know what I have to do, <laughs> and uh, I mean I'll, I'll pay I'll pay half. I mean friends and family discount for one problem. <laughs>
0: Well, they're on back order. They're stuck in a container off the port of our <laughs> right now. <so. laughs> no, we definitely need to hook you up with some swag, uh, Dr. Rogers. Thank you, as always. Uh, stay safe out there in Colorado. You've got plenty of face masks now that you don't probably right. have to go yeah. out and wear one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't even need to wear a mask. This just protects the virus. can't get through this.
0: <laughs> nice. Well done. Well, have a safe and a wonderful week. Dr. Rogers, thanks you for joining it. us. Thanks, guys. See you later. <laughs> later. I always like to kind of wrap him up before the outro cuts him off because we always have some of these great conversations. And then in in the end, it's like, well, here comes the outro music in the middle of a great point that he was
1: making. Yeah. I mean, he's insightful. And the thing is, it's like, he's a great analyst, instructor, economist. He's an expert or subject matter expert. Like sometimes I wonder, is there anything that Dr. Zach Rogers doesn't know or can not do?
0: Well, he's got a great name for it. That's for sure. So, you know, Anthony, I think I think the the consensus is that this is going to be a pretty solid first half of 2021. We keep to see we keep seeing the same kind of results, a little bit of easing, but everybody's kind of pushing forward, even as we see some of these supply chain bottlenecks. So I think we're still going to have a little bit of disruptions coming up that we can't see yet.
1: What do you think? I think employment is definitely going to be the biggest thing: employment, employment, employment across the board. Um, but that after that headwind, I think there's going to be a lot of upside. Well. No doubt. Well, thank you so much for watching and everybody have a great week.